بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We've reached another lesson uh, of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran course and uh, today alhamdulillah after completing suratul sharh suratul atin suratul alaq and suratul qadr last week uh, the following weeks um, we move on today to suratul bayyinah which is the next surah and suratul bayyinah which is the clear proof and we have an authentic hadith which mentions the surah which is narrated from Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu an that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said to Ubay ibn Ka'b he said to the, the, the famous sahabi who was known to be the greatest one of the best reciters of the Quran and of the most knowledgeable of the sahaba regarding the Quran Ubay ibn Ka'b radiyallahu an he said to Ubay that Allah has ordered me to recite the Qur'an to you. And so Ubay said, did Allah mention me by name to you? This was the first thing that struck him. Did Allah actually mention me by name to you? And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah has mentioned your name to me. And he affirmed this. And the first thing that happened to Ubay was this. He was overcome and he started to cry. He started weeping. And then Qatada, who's the sub-narrator, he added that I was informed that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ to Ubay. This was the surah that he then recited to Ubay ibn Ka'b and this narration or this incident is narrated in the two sahihs of Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Some of the benefits of this hadith before we move on into the tafsir of the surah is that we see from this hadith the recitation of an alim to a student. This is some, a benefit that a person who is the teacher, the alim, this is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who recited to, to the student, to Ubay ibn Ka'b. So this is a, a benefit from this, that sometimes we will find this where the teacher recites to the student for whatever, for whatever reason. And this is also a lesson in humility, at tawadu we see the tawadu of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he recites to a sahabi. He recites to Ubay ibn Ka'b. Whereas, yes, Ubay had a great status, but he is the messenger of Allah. The Quran was revealed to him via Jibreel alayhi salam upon him. There was no need for him in reality to recite the Quran to anybody. But this is the tawadu, and, and there are so many great lessons of the tawadu of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is one example. And we should benefit from this in that a person who's, who is knowledgeable, who is a great qari of the Qur'an, he should never think that he is too great to recite it to someone who is below him. Or to even benefit or learn from someone who is below him. In terms of the status of knowledge and so forth, as a believer, we benefit from, from anybody, from, from all. Right? This doesn't mean that we go out and seek knowledge from any person. Right, the score is not, not what is meant. We, we, we seek knowledge from people who are trusted, yes. But the point here is to recite the Quran or to 
take some knowledge from someone who is not on the same level or on the same status as you are in terms of your ilm. This is something that is, 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 it happens to the believer and it should happen and we should be open to this, to, to taking a lesson from one and all. Ubay ibn Ka'ab, some of the scholars mentioned this as the reason why he, uh, the Prophet recited this surah to him. It, it's known that Ubay was the quickest in learning the speech or the wording of the Prophet That when he was the quickest to pick up, you know, listening to the Quran and he could memorize it easily and so forth. Thus, he wanted, meaning the Prophet wanted Ubay to learn it and then teach it to others. This is some of the reasoning that the scholars have derived. And definitely this hadith also proves the great status of Ubay. The great status. And there are many other hadith. I mentioned one where, where, where the Sahaba said that he was the best reciter from amongst them. And also the other hadith that, that, we, that we should know is the hadith of Ayatul Kursi. Where the Prophet وسلم, asked Ubay, what is the greatest ayah in the Quran? And he said, All, Allah and the Messenger knows best. And then he said, but I'm asking you. And Ubay said, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. Referring to Ayatul Kursi. And the Prophet وسلم, of course affirmed this. And mentioned that he knew that Ubay would know. And then he made dua for him that Allah makes knowledge. Uh, facilitated and easy for him and so forth. So this companion was known as one of the great companions, uh, especially in terms of his knowledge of the Quran, Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu So we move on to the tafsir of the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ مُنْفَكِّينَ حَتَّى تَأْتِيَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ And this is where the name of the surah comes from, Al-Bayyinah, the clear proof. رَسُولٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ يَتْلُوا صُحُفًا مُطَهَّرَةً فِيهَا كُتُبٌ قَيِّمَةً Allah Azza wa Jal, He says the disbelievers from the people of the book and the polytheists, the mushrikeen, were not going to desist from their disbelief until a clear proof came to them. A messenger of Allah or from Allah reciting scrolls of utmost purity containing upright commandments. So the first ayah, Many of the scholars have stated that this ayah was one of the hardest ayat to do tafsir of, to explain and to get into. Because of the structure of the, of the, of the ayah, and there was some confusion amongst the understanding of the ayah. And we are not going to go too deep into this. We'll keep it simple and we'll only mention one or two opinions on some of the different differences of opinion regarding some of the words and so forth and, and what is meant by um, this ayah. So firstly, the people of the book Ahlul Kitab, we should know that the Ahlul Kitab refers to in general when Allah uses them like this in an unrestricted sense, it always refers to who? The Yahud and the Nasara. It refers to the, the, Jews, and the, the Jews and the Christians. So why were they referred to as the Ahlul Kitab? They were known as the Ahlul Kitab because they were the previous nations who received books from their prophets, Isa السلام, to the Christians and Musa السلام, to, the, to the Jews. Um, and they received the book, the Torah, and they received the, the Injil, right? And these scriptures, they remained with these people up until the coming of the Prophet وسلم, until the Quran was eventually revealed. They still had the scriptures amongst them. Even though, yes, there was tabdil and tahrif and taghir and so forth that took place, meaning that these books were of course changed. And these books were 
distorted. And there was issues and problems within these books, without a doubt. And even today they have these scriptures with them. But we know that these books have been corrupted. There's no doubt about this. And this has been proven and proven over and, and many times by the scholars of Islam and so forth. Pointing out the discrepancies and the, and, um, the fact that these books have, have all been changed and distorted. As opposed to the Quran, alhamdulillah. But this is why they were called the Ahlul Kitab. Because they were people of the book. That's what it literally means, the people of the book. They had a book that they, that they were supposed to live according to, that they were supposed to follow, although they eventually um, changed these books and did the harif of these books. Wallahul musta'an. So they are the Ahlul Kitab in, um, in general. As for the Mushrikeen, because remember if you notice this ayah, Allah mentions two groups, Ahlul Kitab and the Mushrikeen. لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ He says the disbelievers from the people of the book and the polytheists. So two groups are described here as being the, the disbelievers. They were not going to give up. They were not going to turn away and we will speak about that part later on. So the polytheists or the mushrikeen, they in general are the idol worshippers. Right? Whether it's the idol worshippers, um, from the Quraysh, with the Bani Israel, and so forth, they are all known as mushrikeen. Any person who worships other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a mushrik. Uh, and here it refers to the mushrikeen, whether it's idol worshippers, whether whatever they were doing of shirk from the Bani Israel, and from the Quraysh, and from others. Um, and we know from the Quran and the Sunnah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He differentiates, He differs between the Ahlul Kitab and the mushrikeen. Even though, they are both referred to as kuffar. In this ayah, they are both referred to as kuffar. لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا is who? The disbelievers. Which disbelievers? Who are these disbelievers? In this ayah, Allah mentions two groups. The Ahlul Kitab and the polytheists. So, very important. Notice that this ayah proves that the Ahlul Kitab are kuffar. So, there is a, a misconception that people think that uh, uh, only some of them are, are, are disbelievers. No, the reality is that they are all kuffar. They are all disbelievers. And this ayah is one of the proofs that proves that they are upon kufr and disbelief. Even though they are referred to as Ahlul Kitab, they are still disbelievers. Right? Because they haven't believed in the, the final message. Um, although the kufr is supposedly less than the idol worshippers. This is what some of the scholars have stated. And this is why they are mentioned um, separately from the mushrikeen in this instance over here. Uh, some of the, the other differences that we know of is, we allow to eat the sacrifices of the Ahlul Kitab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran. That they, لكم, And he says the food of the Ahlul Kitab is permissible for you. What's meant here by ta'am, by food here in this ayah is actually the sacrifices, the, the dhaba'ih is halal for you. And also Allah mentions that you allow to marry the woman of the Ahlul Kitab. And not vice versa, right? It's not the, 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 the female Muslimat are not allowed to marry the, the Ahlul Kitab, the men of the Ahlul Kitab. But Allah has allowed it only for the, the men of this Ummah to marry the woman of the Ahlul Kitab for various reasons. But the Mushrikat, any other Mushrik, it's not permissible. As Allah says, do not marry the Mushrikat hatta until they believe. Until they have Iman. So a, for example, a Muslim male is not allowed to marry a, 
a Hindu female, for example, because she's not considered as Ahlul Kitab and so forth. So there are differences between the two groups, Ahlul Kitab and the Mushrikeen. And the asal of the Ahlul Kitab is that they were not upon shirk. They were not upon disbelief, but they later fell into disbelief. They later fell into, um, they later fell into shirk, right? As we see in this ayah over here, Allah mentions them as mushrikeen, where He says, "Ittakhadu ahbarahum maruhbanahum arbaba min dunillahi wal masiha bin Maryam." They have taken their rabbis and their monks; these are their leaders, as well as the Masih, the Messiah, the Son of Mary, as lords besides Allah. Even though وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا They were commanded to worship none but one God. لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ There is no God worthy of worship except Him. سُبْحَانَهُ عَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ Allah then says, Glorified is He above what they يُشْرِكُونَ What they associate with Him. What shirk they commit with Him. So clearly they, He mentions them as people of, of shirk. So it should not be understood that they are not mushrikeen. They are also mushrikeen. But Allah differentiates between them because there are subtle differences between the Ahlul Kitab and the Mushrikeen. Even though the, Ahl, the, the Ahlul Kitab are also now uh, Mushrikeen. They fell into the shirk as we said after their prophets have left. So they were upon Islam in reality. They were upon the true religion when they were followers of Musa and when they were followers of Isa. But when these prophets left, they then changed their religion slowly but surely. Innovation actually crept in and slowly the deen started to change. You understand? From within. Until the deen becomes something completely different. Uh, something that's unrecognizable. Wallahul musta'an. And their books start to change over time as well. So initially they were upon the proper belief. And then later on their people started to change, change, change. Until they ended up in disbelief and into shirk. May Allah protect us. Amin Rabbil Alameen. So Allah starts off this ayah by saying that the people of disbelief from them is the Ahlul Kitab and the Mushrikeen. They will not stop Munfakeen. And this is one of the words where the scholars differed greatly over what is meant by Munfakeen. Um, the well-known view from the majority of the scholars is that Munfakeen means that these disbelievers they are not willing to separate. Munfakina means to separate, to cut yourself off, to desist or to leave their disbelief. Right? They, they, they kufr. This is what, is, what, what they understand from this ayah. So they will not, they are not going to stop. Or they are not going to separate themselves from what they believe of kufr and of shirk. They will not give this up. They will not desist. And they will not leave this disbelief. Right? Until until some clear proof comes to them. This is the way one group of scholars understands um, this ayah. Okay? Although Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, he has a different understanding of this ayah. And Al-Razi, Fakhruddin Al-Razi rahimahullah, he actually disputed this view of the majority. And he was of those who also said this is one of the hardest ayat in terms of tafsir. And he said many great imams, they slipped up on this issue. They slipped up in this, this, this ayah. And he said that to understand it like this contradicts the next ayah which is coming up. The next ayat which are to follow. 
there's a contradiction between this ayah with this type of understanding comp, uh, when we take it into the next ayah. So if we just summarize quickly, what this ayah is saying is that the, mush, the, that the people of disbelief from the Ahlul Kitab and from the Mushrikeen, the, the polytheists, they will not give up or separate or leave their disbelief until clear proof comes to them. Right? Then later on Allah says, وَمَا تَفَرَّقُوا إِلَّا مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ Right? That they did not differ. They do not differ. They did not start to differ amongst each other. Except after that clear proof came to them. So, Ar-Razi says, this is a contradiction if we understand it like this. Because what's supposed to happen is, once the clear proof comes to them, they are supposed to accept and they are supposed to start to believe. But what actually happened was the opposite. That they actually continue to turn away. Majority of them. So he says that this is a, a contradiction. That it cannot be understood like this. And therefore he says, um, after the clear proof came to them, they only increased in kufr. They only increased. So this uh, doesn't really make sense as according to what he is saying. That they will only give up once the clear proof comes to them. But they did not give up. You understand? So what the Quran is, is saying is that, or, or what this interpretation is saying is that, when the clear proof comes to these disbelievers, this is when they will give up their disbelief. But then Allah says later on, that they, they did not differ except after the clear proof came to them. Meaning, they did not accept. So, he says there's a contradiction in this understanding. So Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah has a different understanding to this. And he understands this verse and he says that munfakina does not mean that they will, that they will then stop, uh, you know, um, leave their disbelief. It means something different. It means that they will not be left without any commandments or prohibitions and without any messengers sent to them. So he then says, this means that Allah will not leave them or forsake them until He sends a messenger among them. And this is similar to the saying of Allah, That do people think they will be left without purpose? Without purpose here means without guidance, without instructions, without commandments, without prohibitions, without the messenger and so forth. Will they just be left, you know, to wander freely without any... No. We know there's a sharia, there's laws that have been sent, there's a book that have been sent, there's messengers that have been sent, and so forth. So Ibn Taymiyyah says that this ayah is something similar to these type of ayat, and there are many such ayat in the Quran. So if we take this view, how does this, how does this then um, summarize the, the meaning? It will then mean that the disbelievers from the Ahlul Kitab and the Mushrikeen will not be left, will not be left by Allah. They will not be left without any purpose until a messenger will come to them. Until some clarity and some proof and evidences will come to them. And then they will not differ except after that evidences comes to them. So some of the scholars took this opinion. Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amina Shinqiti, he agreed with this view. And he says this then uh, basically refutes or covers up what a razi mention of issues with, with, the, with the first view, right? Allahu Alam, as I said, this is how they disputed and there are other views as well, you know, and how they did not agree with each other and so forth. So either we can say that the disbelievers will not give up their disbelief until a clear proof comes to them, or we can say that they will not be left by Allah 
without any evidence, without any, will not be left, will not be punished, will not be taken to task by Allah until clear proof comes to them. This is one of the inter- or the two of the interpretations that we have mentioned and that we will only mention and stick to, inshaAllah. The next part of the ayah mentions, which means until that clear proof comes to them. Right? Until bayinah comes to them. Until al-bayinah comes to them. What is bayinah? A bayinah be translated as a clear proof. Right? Clear proof meaning it clarifies everything. It makes things clear. Anything that clarifies the truth is considered or referred to as bayinah. So once the bayina comes on any issue, it can be in a different type of issues, we, we need some bayina. Once the bayina comes, things have become clear. Things are now, you know, clarified and there's no issue. In a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Al-bayinatu ala al-mudda'i. Al-bayina ala al-mudda'i. Which means that the onus of proof is upon the claimant. The one who claims something, the one who... who for example, in the case of law, or he claims something about another person, he must provide his evidence. If he does not have evidence, then he could be lying, right? He, he has to provide the evidence. He's making a claim. He has to provide the evidence. This is what the hadith is saying. Al-bayyina. He must provide the bayyina. He must provide the evidence and the proof to make things clear, for, to, to substantiate what he is claiming. What he is claiming. Okay? So... What is the bayina in this context that Allah mentions here, right? That the mushrikeen, the ahl kitab of the kuffar will not give up or they will not be left forsaken except until al-bayina comes to them. What is al-bayina? Al-bayina here is rasulun min Allahi yatlu suhufan mutahara. Al-bayina here is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama Allah sends him as a bayina. Allah sends him as the one who will come and he will be the proof. He will be the evidence. He will make things clear. Right? Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Hashim al-Qurashi. This is who he is. He's the son of Abdullah. He's from the Hashimite and the Quraysh tribe. And he is, as we know, Khatam al-Nabiyyin, the seal of the prophets. The last of the proofs that Allah sends. The last of the prophets. And the best of them, Khalilullah salawatullahi wa salam and Allah sent him to the man, or to mankind and to the jinn kind, as a bringer of glad tidings and as a warner. This is what it means when Allah says that he is this messenger from Allah. It means he must bring a message. And he brings the, a, a message of glad tidings. And he also brings a message of warning. mutahara. Allah says he recites scrolls, purified scrolls, mutahara, pure scrolls, scriptures. Right? And as we know, he recited from his memory. It wasn't something that, that was written down and given to him. It wasn't something that he, he read from somebody else. No, he recited from memory. Right? Mutahara. Allah describes these uh, recitations and these scrolls that he recites from as being pure. What this means is pure and free from any kadib, lies, or shubuhat, you know, doubts and confusions. Um, Free from kufr and batil and falsehood, free from hypocrisy, free from misguidance, free from deception. It's pure. It's the haq. It's the truth. And this is what he recites um, as, you know, additional bayina. So some said the bayina is the messenger of Allah and the Quran. Right? And both of this is understood to be correct because 
What does he come with? The bayna that he comes with, he is the bayna, and what he comes with is suhufan mutahara, which he recites to them. Reciting this pure scrolls. In another ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about these pure scriptures and pure scrolls, and he says, fi suhufin mukarramah, marfu'atin mutahara, bi'aydi safarah, kiramin bararah. He said it is written on pages held in honor, mukarrama, highly esteemed and purified by the hand of angel, or by the hands of angel, scribes, honorable and virtuous. Right? The, in another verse, Surah Abasa, well-known ayat, Allah speaks about these scrolls as well, which he recites upon these people, noble, honorable, um, esteemed and purified scrolls. By the hands of the angels, scribes, honorable and virtuous, kiramim barara. Fiha kutubun qayyimah, containing upright commandments. These scrolls, this is what he recites to them, it, it contains upright commandments. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, he said, meaning, in the purified pages are books from Allah that are upright, just and straight, just and straight and correct. No mistakes in them. Because they are from Allah the Mighty and Majestic. Right? Ibn Al-Qurtubi said, The word kutubiyah in this ayah, fiha kutubun. The word kutubiyah means, refers to ahkam. Right? Your laws or your commandments. So, uh, in this kutubu, uh, in this, what he's reciting, in these scrolls that he's reciting, it contains upright commandments and laws that are just, that are sahih uh, and correct. And they have no mistakes in them because they come from Allah Azza wa Jal. And this was the state of the people, right? The, the, the state of the people, especially the Ahlul Kitab. They were people who were waiting for the final prophet. And this is affirmed in their scriptures, right? In their scriptures, there was notice given to them of the final prophet who will come. And they are supposed to know this and many of them did know this. And if we study the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we can see this. Bahira, Bahira was the famous um, priest from the Christians. Some say he was a Jewish man, some say he was Christian. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah says that he was a Christian priest. priest. And he, there was a, there's a hadith in a tirmidhi where Abu Talib travels with the Prophet ﷺ, after the, the death of Abdul Muttalib and Abu Talib, his uncle now looks after him, they travel together. And as they are traveling past a particular land, they stop there and Bahira comes out to them and immediately acknowledges the Prophet ﷺ as being the Prophet of Allah. Immediately. Right? Why? Because he knew that this, this Prophet is going to come. You know, and there are so many other evidences for this in the seerah alone. But... They were supposed to know this. In the same incident, there were people from Rome who had traveled all the way to find the Prophet who they believed was coming in that month. And they actually met the Prophet in this hadith, in that particular journey to uh, when they passed by Bahira and so forth. So they knew this and they were supposed to be waiting for this Bayina to come. And the Quran here is saying that they will not leave their kufr. They will not leave their disbelief until the bayina comes. According to the other view, they will not be left by Allah to be just to, to roam freely, to, to, you know, to be forsaken by Allah until the bayina will come. Right? But after the bayina came to these disbelievers, did they leave their kufr and shirk or not? Did they accept the message 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers and he says, وَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَةِ It was not until this clear proof came to the people of the book that they became divided about his prophethood. It was only until this clear proof came to the people of the book, to the Ahlul Kitab, that they then became divided about his prophethood. Subhanallah. So they knew he's going to come. The scriptures mention this. When he came, and you know, many of them, they knew him to be the best of the best. As his person, his character, his character he was known as Al-Amin, a trustworthy, and so forth. But yet when he came, now the arrogance and the stubbornness came in and various reasons came in. And now they became divided about his, about his actual coming and about his prophethood. So this ayah means, when the Bayina came to them, um, they differed. Some of them believed and some disbelieved. From the well-known Christians who believed was the Ethiopian king Najashi. Najashi, he, he became a believer. From the Jews was Abdullah ibn Salam. Also became a believer. And many from the Mushrikeen accepted Islam, especially from the Quraysh. Many, many of the Sahaba were Mushrikeen initially. You know, and they accepted Islam as time went by from the Quraysh and from other tribes as well. They accepted Islam. So many of them, walhamdulillah. Um, and in this ayah you will notice Allah specifies the, the Ahlul Kitab. Kitab. That the people of the book became divided. And Allah doesn't necessarily mention the Mushrikeen. Why is this? Because the people of the book, Allah specifically mentions them because they had knowledge of His coming. Their scriptures told them that He is coming and yet once He came, they then became divided. Wallahu musta'an. So this is why Allah specifically mentions them. And also it is said that the Mushrikeen would have eventually followed them. You know, because they did not have the knowledge of the people of the book. So indeed Allah guides the sincere ones. So they had knowledge, but yet they were not guided. Because Allah, if they wanted the truth, if they desired guidance to the haqq, Allah would have guided them. And those are the ones who Allah guided. But if there was anything that prevented them like stubbornness or arrogance or um, tribalism and so forth, and this is what they preferred, then they were not guided. And Allah knows best who is, is, who is truly deserved um, of guidance. Before prophethood, the people were upon what they followed previously. right? So the Bushrikeen were worshipping idols and they were doing all the you know, jahili uh, ways and, and, and beliefs and rituals. The, the Ahlul Kitab were following their scriptures which have been changed and, and distorted and corrupted. and We know the days of Jahiliyyah were some of the darkest times in this world. right? Some of the really the, the, the worst of times when people were doing all types of evil. And when the Bayina came, they differed and they split. When the Bayina eventually came, they differed and they split. The Prophet comes as the Prophet of Allah and he starts to come with Wahi. And now they started to split and they started to go this way and that way. Some eventually believed and some eventually disbelieved. And this is as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا وَاخْتَلَفُوا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And do not be like those who split and differed, who split and differed after clear proofs came to them. Al-bayyinat came to them. Clear proofs came to them. It is they who will suffer a tremendous punishment. And this ayah, you know, is telling us not to be like them. Not to be like those people who, when clear proofs come, we split up. 
and we differ and we move to this group and to that group and we follow our desires and we follow what's easy and we follow our culture, our traditions, we follow this group and that group. Follow the clear evidences. And alhamdulillah, this deen is a deen, a deen that is clear. Layluha kana hariha la yazihu anha illa halik. The hadith says that this deen, the Prophet left us upon a clear white path. Its night is like its day. There's no darkness. It's all clear. Nobody will deviate from this path except one who's, dest- who's destroyed. Wallahul musta'an. So we should look for this evidences from the Quran and the Sunnah and we should follow it sincerely with an open heart and to be firm upon this. Bi'idnillahi ta'ala. Allah make us of those. Ameen. Allah also says about the Al-Kitab. وَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ كِتَابٌ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا مَعَهُمْ وَكَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Although they used to pray for victory by means of the Prophet over the polytheists, when they came to them a book from Allah which they recognized, which they recognized, confirming the scripture that they had in their hands, what then happened? فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ مَا عَرَفُوا كَفَرُوا بِهِ They rejected it. So may Allah's condemnation be upon the disbelievers or Allah's curse be upon the disbelievers. So this ayah makes it very clear that these people used to pray for victory by means of the Prophet. Yani they were hoping that this Prophet is going to come and assist them so that they can be victorious over the, the, the disbelievers or the mushrikeen. And when the book of Allah came and they recognized it, Allah says, when it came to them, they recognized it. And it confirmed the scripture that they had. So the haqq was clear to them. Kafarubi, they rejected it. Subhanallah. So this was the way of the Ahlul Kitab. You understand? This was the way of the Ahlul Kitab. And this is why we say they open disbelief and upon shirk as well. And Allah knows best. And Allah also says, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةَ Allah then says, um, again referring to these people, even though they were only commanded to worship Allah alone with sincere devotion to Him in all uprightness. Establish salah, pay zakah, that is the upright way. Right, this is the next ayah in Surah Al-Bayyinah, by the way. So um, again, this is after they now split up and refuse to follow what they acknowledge and what they, what they realize is the truth, Allah then mentions, even though this is what they were commanded to do. Meaning in their own scriptures, this is what they were commanded to do. Allah says, وَمَا أُمِرُوا Meaning the, the Jews and the Christians, in their own scriptures, in the Torah and the Injil, this is exactly what they were instructed to do. What were they instructed to do? إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ They were only instructed to worship Allah alone. Tawheed. This is the this is the main the crux of, of of the of the call of every prophet. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهِ وَجْتَنِبُ الطَّاهُودِ Allah says indeed we sent to every single ummah, every single nation a messenger. What was his call? Worship Allah alone and stay far away from the false gods. وَجْتَنِبُ الطَّاهُودِ Stay away from them. Honey, worship Allah alone. And disbelieve in every single thing, every other thing. So this was in every ummah and in every scripture. Okay? But clearly they did not fulfill their main commandment. Even this was then removed. Mukhlisina lahuddin. 
they were supposed to be, they were instructed to be sincere in their deen, sincere in their worship. Right, and this is an evidence that worship requires an intention, ikhlas. Every act of worship has to be built upon ikhlas, sincerity for the sake of Allah alone. It's an action of the heart and it is that a person intends to seek the face of Allah alone. The reason why we are doing this, we are seeking knowledge, we are teaching, we make salah, we give our zakah, we give charity, sadaqat, we make hajj and umrah. The reason why we do all of these good deeds is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, is to make him happy, is to fulfill his obligations upon us, is to seek his pleasure, is to seek his reward, is to abstain from his sin or uh, to distance ourselves away from his anger and to attain Jannah bi'idnillahi ta'ala where we get to see the face of Allah. These are the reasons why we should be driven to worshipping Allah and it should not be worship of riya' or sum'ah. La riya' wa la sum'ah. There should be no showing off. Riya' is when we do deeds to impress others. Those who are watching us, those who can see us. And so we do something to impress them. Sum'ah means to seek a reputation so that people can hear about us, people can talk about us, people can, oh mashallah, what a great speaker, what a great qari, oh mashallah, how good that guy um, dealt with the situation. We do things so that people can hear about us, so that people can talk about us, and so forth. This is both the opposite of ikhlas. This is the opposite of seeking the face of Allah or the, the, the pleasure of Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is equal to minor shirk. Riya'a or showing off is, is tantamount to minor shirk, which makes it a major, major sin. Wallahu al-musta'an. So it's something to be very, very wary of. And it's, you know, our, uh, it's one of the most important things that we work on our intention on a daily basis. Always ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I going to the masjid? Is it to show the brothers that I'm in the masjid? Why am I, uh, you know, doing certain things? What's my intention? What is the, what, what's driving me? You know, this is a very important question for each person to ask. Um, Allahul Musta'an. Hunafa, they were also instructed to be Hunafa, meaning in all uprightness. Yani, Hunafa means to turn away from everything else and to turn to the deen of Islam alone, which is the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. It's an inclination and a devotion to Islam. Purely for the sake of Allah. It's, it's linked to ikhlas. It's linked to our ikhlas. So it's done with all devotion and uprightness for the deen of Islam. الصلاه, and to establish salah يعني within its times and its required actions. الزكاه, and to pay the zakah. This is what they were all commanded with. This is the upright, the correct religion. Right? This is the upright way or religion which has no deviance in it. These are the foundations of the deen of Islam and every other religion that these people were commanded with. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in um, this ayah. Right? This is the deen that they have been instructed with and it is the correct religion. Some say it is the true religion of the upright ummah. So whichever ummah is following this religion, they are the true and the ummah that's upon the haqq. And this is the further evidence for the truthfulness of this messenger that was sent to them. Meaning that he came with the same message. So this was an evidence against them to show them that the same thing your scriptures was, you know, built upon. This is the same da'wah that the Prophet ﷺ is coming with. 
It's the other secondary issues that have been changed. But the basis and the basics and the foundation of the deen is the same. Of tawheed and so forth, worshipping Allah alone and sada and zakah. It's the same. So this was like an evidence against him to prove that the messenger is the true messenger. That he did not come with anything um, completely different. No, the foundations were the same. The belief system was the same. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Allah then says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ شَرُّ الْبَارِيَّةِ Indeed, those who disbelieve from the people of the book and the polytheists will be in the fire of hell to stay there forever. They are the worst of all beings. So Allah clarifies once again that these two groups are kuffar. Ahl al-kitab and the mushrikeen, they are, they are disbelievers. Even though the Ahlul Kitab say they believe in Allah in the last day, and many of them believe this, they are still kuffar. Why? Because they don't believe in Muhammad وسلم, as the seal of the prophets. Anybody who does not believe that he is the final messenger, or that he is a messenger of Allah, is a kafir and is not a Muslim. The reason why the Qadiyaniyyah or the Ahmadiyyah are not considered to be Muslims is because they believe there is a prophet after Muhammad that immediately takes him out the fold of Islam. They are not Muslim at all. They have no share in Islam. Not, not, in fact, they are bigger kuffar than the, than, the, than the Jews and the Christians. This is what some of the scholars have stated. So they do not believe in him, even though he has been mentioned in their scriptures. The Ahl Kitab, their own scriptures mentions him, and yet they don't believe in him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he is written in the Torah and the Injil. يأمرهم بالمعروف وينهاهم عن المنكر ويحل لهم الطيبات ويحذم عليهم الخبائث ويضع عنهم إصرهم والأغلال التي كانت عليهم فالذين آمنوا به وعزروه ونصروه واتبعوا النور الذي أنزل معه أولئك هم المفلحون الله سين سورة الأعراف They are the ones who follow the messenger, the unlettered prophet whose description they find in their Torah and the Gospel, the Injil. He commands them to do good and forbids them from evil, permits for them what is lawful and forbids to them what is impure, and relieves them from their burdens and the shackles that bound them. Only those who believe in him, honor and support him, and follow the light sent down to him will be successful. The ayah is crystal clear in the point that we are trying to prove. Allah then says about them that they will be in the fire of Jahannam forever and ever. Khalidina fiha. They will never exit, nor will they die therein. Their punishment will be everlasting. Wallahu musta'an. And then Allah says, Ula'ikahum sharrul bariyah. They are the worst of all beings. Meaning, bariyah means khaliqa, which means creation. They are the worst of all creation. Right? Some ulama said, this could refer to the era of the Prophet وسلم, meaning it's specified to this era. So there were others before them who were worse than them, like Fir'aun, like the one who killed the camel of Nabi Salih, like Haman and Qarun and those people were worse than these people. Allah alam. The point here is the people of Kufr, they are the worst of creation. The people of Shirk, they are the worst of creation. Right? And the Ahl Kitab have fallen into the sin of Kufr and Shirk. Hence, they are also considered to be the worst of creation. Creation here yeah, is also inclusive of the animals and other you know, species and so forth. 
In another verse, Allah mentions this again and He says, إِنَّ شَرَّ الدَّوَابِ عِنَّ اللَّهِ الصُّمُّ الْبُكْمُ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ The worst of all beings in the sight of Allah are the willfully deaf and dumb. Yani those people who accept, don't accept, don't want to understand the message, don't want to accept the truth. They are willfully deaf and dumb. Who do not understand. Had Allah known any goodness in them, He would have certainly made them hear. Allah would have guided them. But, even if He had made them hear, they would have surely turned away heedlessly. These people did not want the haqq. فَلَمَّا زَاهُ أَزَاهَ اللَّهُ قُلُبَهُمْ يعني when, when they, when, when, uh, when the message became clear, they, they were not interested. So even if Allah allowed them to hear the message and understand the message, they would have turned away. This was not the interest Allah Musta'an. In another verse, Allah says, إِنَّ شَرَّ الدَّوَابِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا هُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Indeed, the worst of all beings in the sight of Allah are those who persist in disbelief, never to have faith, never to believe. So clearly, there's another verse that substantiates this point, that they are the worst of creation. Wallahu al-musta'an. Then Allah says, regarding the believers, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ خَيْرُ الْبَارِيَّةِ On the flip side, Allah says, those who believe and do good, they are the best of all beings. Yeah, Ibn Uthaymi, rahimahullah, he explains and he says, the Qur'an always mentions both sides. Both scenarios, the opposite as well. Speaks about the people of hell and then the people of Jannah. Verses of encouragement, that encourages us to do good. And then there's verses of warning and threat and so forth. And this is of course, the hikmah here is to maintain the balance of the believer. He's always between hope and fear, hope and fear. He's never too hopeful, need, uh, heedless, nor is he too fearful that he gives up hope. No, he's between the two, balanced. And we've spoken about this in Surah Al-Fatiha, the tafsir, and the importance of being between hope and fear, and Allah knows best. The best of Allah's creation are those who truly believe and do righteous deeds. Right? This is what this ayah is telling us. This, they are the best of the creation. The true believers, the people of true iman, and pure iman, and they do righteous deeds according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi They are the best of all creation. And Ibn Uthaymin says they are of four levels. As Allah says in the verse, whoever obeys Allah and the messenger, he will be in the company of the blessed by Allah. Meaning, مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَصِدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ From amongst the prophets, the people of truth, the martyrs, and the righteous. These are the four levels of the best of the best. The prophets, the best of them are the messengers. Right, the, 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 the Rusul. Then the Siddiqeen, the truthful ones and the best of them is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. The Shuhada, those who are killed in the path of Allah. And some say this also refers to Ulama. And Wasalihin and the righteous. If we cannot be of the Nabiyyin, and we cannot be of the Nabiyyin, because as we know, the Prophet is the Khatam al Nabi, is the last of the messengers and the prophets. We should strive at least to be of the Salihin and to try to be of the Shuhada and to try to be of the Siddiqeen. This should be our strive and our, and our goal is to always become a better and a stronger believer. Then Allah mentions their reward and He says, Jaza'uhum inda rabbihim jannatu adlin tajri min tahtiha al-anharu khalidina fiha abada radiyallahu anhum wa radu anh thalika liman khashiya rabbah their reward with their Lord will be gardens of eternity, under which rivers flow, 
to stay there forever and ever. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. This is only for those in awe of their Lord. So Allah, firstly, he praises the believers and then he mentions their reward. How did he praise them? That's a praise. Allah says they're the best of creation. Then he mentions the reward in this ayah. Why? Because Allah praising them first is actually a higher level of honor and distinction for them and status for them. First, Allah praises them. This is the best. This is subhanAllah. What is better than Allah saying you're the best of the best? Then Allah mentions what he will give them of reward. Jannat. Notice Allah uses the plural here. Jannat. Not Jannah, but Jannat. Gardens. Right? In plural form. And this is to indicate its various types. And it's not just one Jannah, there are different types of Jannah. Uh, for example, in a hadith, Rasulullah he said there will be two paradises of silver and all the utensils and whatever is therein will be of silver. And two paradises of gold and its utensils and whatever therein will be of gold. Subhanallah, there's not just one type of Jannah, there's different types of Jannah, different levels in Jannah and so forth. Example, Ar-Rahman, Allah says, وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ But for he who has feared the position of his Lord are two gardens. The one who fears the maqam of Allah, the position of Allah, he will get two gardens. Then Allah mentions the descriptions of these gardens. Later on, the Surah 40, Ayah 46, right? And after that he mentions, وَمِنْ دُونِهِمَا جَنَّتَانِ And below them, there's two gardens that, that he mentions, Below them are two other gardens. And then Allah speaks about that. So you can refer to Ar-Rahman and read through these ayat. It gives you a bit of an idea, a bit of more detail. But the point here is to show different levels, different types of Jannah, different types of bliss and paradise and, and subhanAllah. Allah then said, uh, the message of Allah narrates that Allah said, I have prepared for my pious slaves things which have never been seen by any eye. No eye has ever seen. No ear has ever heard. No Which basically means no person has even conceived or imagined this, what has been prepared for them in Jannah. It's beyond what we can imagine. Whatever, you know, think of anything perfect and anything to the best of your imagination, Jannah is far beyond that. Jannah is far greater than that. And then he said, if you wish, you can recite this ayah. فَلَا تَعْلَمُ نَفْسٌ مَا أُخْفِيَ لَهُمْ مِنْ أَعْيُنٍ No person knows what is hidden for them of joy, of bliss, of peace, of qurrat a'yun, which is, you know, the coolness of the eyes, which is of, of complete enjoyment of, of, as a reward for what they used to do. No person knows. يعني, what's waiting in Jannah is far beyond what you can imagine. Allah Musta'an. Abdullah ibn Abbas عنهما, he said, There is nothing in Jannah that is from that which is in this dunya except asma, names. There is nothing in Jannah which is from that which is in this dunya except asma. So whatever is in Jannah, when Allah speaks about rivers, we have rivers. Allah speaks about trees, we have trees. Allah speaks about fruits, we have fruits. Allah speaks about the women of Jannah, we have women as well. But what he's saying is, nothing is the same. The trees there, the trees here are completely different. The only similarity is the name. 
That's the only thing that's the same. It's a tree and a tree, but that tree cannot be compared to this tree. That river cannot be compared to this river. That fruit cannot be compared to this fruit. That woman cannot be compared to this. That palace cannot be compared. That wine, they will drink wine. It will be different. That, subhanAllah. So really, what we can imagine, you know, of the best of the best, Jannah is beyond that. Jannah is far greater than that. And some of the scholars use this as an aqidah issue in the, in the Bab of Asma'i wa Sifat, that if this applies to Jannah and the dunya, both is created from Allah. What about the creator and creation? So, for example, uh, off topic here, but certain attributes of Allah, um, when we say Allah has a face and we have a face, some people say you cannot say this because you are likening Allah to creation. But if you apply this, this principle, that if we cannot even compare the Jannah to, to the dunya, and both of this is created. Allah created Jannah. If there's no comparison, what about the created to creation? So when we say Allah has a face and a hand and these type of attributes which comes in the Quran and Hadith, it doesn't mean we liken him to creation. Rather, we know that the face of Allah is perfect. It's what befits his majesty and his perfection. And it's not like the face that we have or a face that we find in this dunya. Or a foot like we have. Allah has a foot. Hadith says so. We are believing it. How? We don't know. We don't ask. But we believe in it. Because that's what the hadith says. Can it, does it mean that he's like us now? Na'udhu billah. No, there's no comparison. Because I have a foot. And the mountain also has a foot. It's both a foot. Arabic, it's, uh, that's what it says. I have a hand and the door also has a hand. Does it mean it's the same thing? It cannot be compared. It's not the same thing. Imagine this is between created beings. I'm, I'm not perfect. The door is not perfect. Nor is the mountain. Nor is anybody. Anything else. Compare this to the perfect one, Allah Azza wa Jalla. There's no comparison. So they use the statement of Yirma Abbas to prove this point of the belief of Ahl Sunnah to the people of philosophy and so forth and rhetoric that they they fail to understand this principle that to say one has a face and another has a face. There's no comparison. There's no likening taking place. No, that's perfect and this is imperfect when it comes to Allah versus the creation and Allah knows best. Jannat wa Adanin. So it's Jannat which is also Adan. The word Adan refers to something which is eternal and everlasting. It also means for something to remain in a place without leaving. That's Adan. So you stay in a place without leaving. Everlasting, you stay there forever. This is Adan. Right? So the people of Jannah will be Adanin. They will never leave. They will be there forever, everlasting for eternity. And Ibn Uthaymin, he says beautifully, he says that the people of Jannah will never wish for a change of condition. They will not feel that anyone is better off than them. Whatever they have, they will be so contented and happy that they will not wish for anything else. They will not wish for anything better. Because what they have is so, you know, sufficient for them. They will be so contented and happy and at peace and at bliss. That they will not even ask, wish for a difference or, or something to change. Like we in this dunya, people always want something more. We're working for something else. Then we want this, then we want that. The Jannah is not like this. Right? Even though there will be levels where people will get better than the others, but even those below, they'll be getting less than the people above them. But yet they will not be longing for that because they will be sufficed. But those above them will be getting better and more. Wallahu a'lam. And an example of this, Allah says, Imagine the people of Jannah, they will be 
Indeed, those who believe and do good deeds will have the gardens of paradise as an accommodation, wherein they will be forever, never desiring anywhere else. Hiwala means to change. They won't want any change. Nothing. Whatever they have, they are sufficed. Alhamdulillah. Tajri min al-anhar. Rivers will flow beneath it. With rivers flowing underneath them. You know, beneath the palaces, beneath the trees, beneath everything. As they're walking, these rivers that are following them. There's a narration that says that the rivers of Jannah has no trenches and no crevices. It flows on the face of the earth. You know, in Jannah. Just like that, and it follows the people and so forth in an amazing way. You understand? In another ayah in Surah Muhammad, Allah mentions the jan, uh, these rivers and He says, The description of the paradise promised to the righteous is that in it are rivers of fresh water. Rivers of milk that never changes in taste. Amazing. Can you imagine this? And rivers of wine, delicious to drink. And rivers of asalim, musaffa, pure honey. Subhanallah, these are the types of rivers that we will be in Jannah. There they will also have all kinds of fruit and forgiveness from their Lord. So Allah mentions the types of rivers. Here in this ayah, He's saying, underneath them there will be rivers that are flowing. Underneath the palaces and the trees and the as they are walking, Subhanallah, again, this is something that we can only try to imagine. The reality of it will be far greater than what our minds can conceive. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا abada, They in forever and ever. No death, no grieving, no worry, no exhaustion will touch them. They will be in this state of strength, of bliss, of happiness from the moment they enter for eternity. For it, and even this, I think our, our minds fail to conceive. Subhanallah. And this is alone something to make us really reflect and ponder. That our life in this dunya that we work for, that we sacrifice for, that we, you know, we commit sin for, that we do so much for, in reality is so short. The average, they say, is 60 years. Some will be much less than that. Some will be a bit more. But even if you live unto 100 or even 150, what is 150 compared to Khalidina fiha abada, to Jannati Adanin, everlasting, eternal, forever and ever? What's 150? What's 60 compared to that? Rasulullah lived for 63 years. Abu Bakr, 63 years. Uthman, 63 years. That's how long they lived. Then they've been in their grave for over nearly 1400 years. For nearly 1400 years, they've been in their graves. 1400 years they've been buried, nearly, approximately. The Akhirah must still come. This is just the Barzakh. Then the Akhirah must still come. Can we? We don't understand time like this. We only know a few minutes and hours and days and weeks. Subhanallah. This alone is. Allah repeats this throughout the Quran so many times. Khalidina fiha abada, khalidina fiha times, khalidina fiha abada, many times. But we just read it, we don't, we don't reflect. It's supposed to be enough to really wake us up. And Allah says, khalidina fiha abada forever and ever and ever. Then Allah says, radiyallahu anhum radu'an. Allah is pleased with him and they are well pleased with him. And this again is the greatest favor and bounty and bliss. If Allah says he's pleased with you, he's pleased with us. 
What, what better thing is there for us? Subhanallah, what better thing is there for us? What better bounty is there than this? That Allah promises and He confirms that He is pleased with them. There is nothing better than this. He will never become angry towards them. And they will get to see the perfect face of Allah. This will happen. And this is the belief of Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah confirmed in many ahadith and in the Quran as well. That they will get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this will be the greatest na'im, the greatest pleasure and bliss that the people of Jannah will experience is when they get to see the face of Allah. Nothing will be better and greater than this for them. None of the bounties and the favors of Jannah will equate to this when they get to see the perfection of Allah Azza wa Jal in all of His glory and might and perfection. Jalla Jalaluhu. And then Allah says, liman This, yani this reward, is for those who have khashiyah of Allah. This is for those who have khashiyah of Allah. What is khashiyah? Khashiyah is a type of fear. Khawf means fear in Arabic. Khashiyah is slightly different. It's more specific than khawf. Khashiyah is to fear Allah, but also with awe and respect and glorification. That you understand the greatness of Allah, and the, the status of Allah, and the perfection of Allah, and that's when khashiyah comes in. And, and, and this is why the scholars say that khashiyah only comes to those people who know Allah. You have to know who Allah is to really fear Him in this way. It's not just fear, it's a type of awe and respect and, and, and that type of fear. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ يَخْشَ اللَّهَ Comes from khashiyah. The people who have khashiyah of Allah is who? عِبَادِ الْعُلَمَاءِ Are the are the knowledgeable ones. There are those who are truly in awe of him, or who? Only the knowledgeable. Only the knowledgeable. Yani, and this is, again, is this not a good enough encouragement for us to go and learn? To be people of ulama. We cannot be an alim, be a student. At least, try. We should all try to be students of this deen. From the cradle to the grave, as Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said, this is one reason that's sufficient for us. If it's just this reason that's sufficient, it's only the ulama who truly fear him, who truly have that awe and that respect for Allah that he deserves, that he should have. And this reward of Jannah and all these things and Allah's pleasure is kept for these people. This reward is for those who have khashiyah of Allah. And who are those who have khashiyah of Allah? The true ulama, the people who really know Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is why again it's important to study who Allah is, to study Tawheed, the most important science. And then to study Allah's names and attributes to get to know who He is. So that we can understand the nature of Allah and His names and His attributes and His descriptions and His sifat. Who He is, what does He do, what are His actions. And through this we will learn to love Him. Through this we will learn to respect Him. Through this we will learn His great status. Through this we will learn to glorify Him and to fear Him appropriately. And to love Him unconditionally. Subhanallah, and to never lose hope in his mercy and so forth. And this is why Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah he said, Afdalul ulum ma'rifatullah. The best of all knowledge is the knowledge of Allah, is to know Allah. Whomsoever knows him, whomsoever knows Allah man arafahu, he will love him unconditionally. He will love Allah in all circumstances. This is, you know, some of what the ulama said about the Asma'ul Husna and, and the names of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And alhamdulillah, we covered the scores. And you can find the audios on our website, on tayyibah.ca.za. 
and, and you can go through these courses and try to just increase your knowledge on this science because it is the greatest of all sciences and Allah Azza wa Jal truly knows best. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to grant us the understanding of his book to make us of those who have khashiyah and who, of those who um, have knowledge of him and who then fear him appropriately. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Until next week, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will move on to the next surah. Insha'Allah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.